to the ninth installment of the blind chatter podcast i'm your host tanner i'm here with big chief big chief how you doing doing pretty good how are you doing i'm great uh we're also joined by the 2000 world goose calling champ sean stall of rnt calls sean how you doing man i'm pretty good man 2000 that's a long time ago and they're getting ready (laughs) they're getting ready to uh crown another one here in another week or so how do you think that's going to play out uh, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, their 50th anniversary, so I think they got some cool things in store for it. Unfortunately, I'm I'm not going back. I am going to be out in a blind, and that's kind of the reason why. I only actually went and called in the contest twice. Uh, the first year I went, Sean Mann, who was kind of an idol of mine, he's, he saw me that summer, and I think I won eight out of 16 contests that summer. And he's like, you got to come out here. You got to come out here. This is your year. I'm telling you. And, you know, just out of, because Sean was like my idol, I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. But I mean, I never went because it's during hunting season. I always call them contests outside. I went out there and I won. And then, so I was like, oh boy, now I got to go back. (laughs) I I got fifth place the second year and then been back three times since to judge, but pretty much, um, after that, after that second year, when I got, I was pretty well wanting to get out of it uh, the year I won the world. And then after that next year, I pretty much hung up, hung up the calls and just went straight hunting. Yeah. Yeah. No, you had a, you know, like I was telling you before we got started, you know, you were a big, uh, you're a big name in the, the goose call industry. I mean, you have got the name, the nickname, the goose guru. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Jimbo kind of. The Frank Sinatra of goose calling and the goose guru. Yeah, that's uh, Jim Ronquist and and uh, um, Blake at RT kind of came up with that moniker, I guess. Yeah. Now, how is it working side by side with guys like that? I mean, you know, you're you're a big name in the waterfowl industry itself. Now, I imagine, you know, working with Ronquist and guys like that. I mean, it's I don't want to say it's daunting, but, um, you know, how do you, how is that for you? Well, I mean, it's, you say big name, but honestly, we all wear the same, I mean, not the same boots, but we all wear boots and waders and get up and do it the same way. And I mean, we're just fortunate to be doing what we do for a living, but it doesn't, I mean, we're no different than anybody else that goes out there and hunts every day and scouts and puts the time in and just, we're fortunate enough to be able to do it for a living. And they're, they're regular guys, they're everyday guys, and that's kind of, uh, you know, what drew me to, I, I had a, a good friend of mine in the industry. He's no longer in the industry, but he was a big name at the time, uh, owner of a company. And he always said, like finds like, and, you know, everybody kind of gravitates to similar people and, and they're, everybody at Rich and Tone is real laid back. You can call them on the phone. You can have a conversation just like you can anybody. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the nice, you know, kind of the good old boys kind of deal i guess yeah, if you say that. absolutely yeah no i mean it's it's uh you know you put it a way that i don't think anybody could put it any better you know we all put our pants on the same way in the morning and you know 
a lot of guys, when they talk to guys like you or they talk to Big Sean or they talk to Sean Mann or they talk to Bill Saunders, anybody like that, they get kind of not weird, but they, you know, it's almost like they're starstruck. And, you know, like you said, you just got to remember that we all kind of get weird when they talk to Big Saunders, though. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. I mean, you know, <laughs> I got to throw it out. He's a good friend of mine. I, I like giving him, giving, giving Billy Boy crap. Because he'll throw it at me, I promise you. <laughs> yeah, we all got friends like that that we like to throw a little little flack at here and there. Um, yeah. So Saunders is a fun, Saunders is a fun guy to hunt with, though. Um, he is sure enough the real deal hunter. He's not just somebody that makes calls and puts her face on ads. He actually he, he's as good a hunter as I've hunted with. From yeah, from what I've heard, he uh, he'll put in the work and he'll get down and dirty to make sure that it's a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's up out of, uh, God, is he out of Kennewick, Washington? Yeah. 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 Tri-Cities area. Tri-Cities area. Yeah. 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 No, that's a cool, that's another guy I'd like to get on the show is Bill. I mean, he's, you know, especially with the West coast, um, as far as like the, all the subspecies that we have over here of Canada's, um, he's been a huge innovator in, um, the call making, you know, as far as like the BC minimum for all the cacklers and the I five killer for the lessers. I mean, he's, he's done it all and um he's really perfected that that art definitely he shouldn't be hard to catch can't miss him yeah yeah um so touch on your your calling um you know if you wouldn't mind your calling repertoire um how many times have you do you think that you've placed top five i mean uh at one time I, I used to keep, I was real, I'm, I'm anal about that stuff. I used to keep a spreadsheet and I think I was, I think I was 56 out of 60 contests. I was in the top five, I think. Smoking like Joe. Wow. I think That's I won. Like, hell of a record. I think I won 20 or better, but like, you know, what was weird is when I first started calling contests, there might be three or four contests a summer that you get to. And then towards the end, when I was calling, I, like I said, I, I won eight out of 16 that year I won the world. Mm-hmm. So there was, a, there was a lot of, con- you know, in some places you went, they'd have two contests on a weekend too. So, um, but yeah, I won eight out of 16 that year and I was on a pretty good roll making some cash then. Yeah. I mean, but, eight out of 16, that's, I mean, hell in baseball, you'd be an all-star man. Hall of Famer. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. I wish I, I wish uh, Goose Collin paid like baseball. <laughs> it doesn't. Don't we all? Yeah. Who is but your? Uh, I get to do what I like to do and have fun. So. Right. Who was your biggest? Uh, your biggest like competition? I guess back when you're on the stage. Um, back then it would have been, um, you know the the Fred Zinks and the Al McCrees. I was at that transition point when flutes were still doing good. And then all of a sudden short reach. So you had, you know, you had Fred Zink and, and uh, Alan McCree were in Brandon Fletcher and a few other people, uh, John Pisoni, some of them were, you know, doing real well, Troy Dishner, um, Ron Wenneke's that kind of thing with the flutes. And then, then it made the transition uh, to the short reach, Kelly Powers. Um, I mean, he was the one, you know, went to a contest really that I was, you know, looking at, you know, um, as my, uh, biggest competition but he was also my best friend on the on the circuit and you know he's one of the people I could rely on for good feedback and 
you know, we'd help, you know, help each other out. One person walk on stage, want to go listen. And, you know, cause that's what I always, you know, some people, they say, well, it, it didn't sound that great. Da, 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 da. You know, people out in the crowd. Well, you're really trying to impress the judges, not the people in the crowd. Right. So you're not necessarily blowing your call at the crowd. You're blowing it at the judges or moving around, finding different uh, places in the, in the, um, in the room that sound good. And, and that's why, you know, one of us would go back in the, the judges tent inner chamber before the contest and the other one call and switch back and forth and try to figure that out because, you know, you're trying, it's just like, it's like hunting, you know, you're trying to fool the geese or give them, you know, give them the sounds that they want to hear to make them come in. And in a, in a contest, you're trying to please the judges. So I would right. always look at who was judging. And I, I had a little book on what those people liked and I wouldn't, necessarily tailor a routine for them but i put just enough in there to make them go mm, yeah okay and that's what you know contest calling it's all about getting getting blowing mistake free sounding like a goose having power volume flow and control getting in and not making a mistake getting into that third round letting them judge you and you get in the top five you're going to win quite a few because sometimes it comes down to how you were how you drew and who you called back to back against, you know, um, if you had some really good callers that you called next to, it could really drive your scores up. And if you had some callers that weren't, you know, new to it or whatever, and had some low scores, well, sometimes when you come in and pop up right after them, it might jump your score up three or four points, but not enough if you're calling back to back with some really good callers. Yeah. Now you mentioned like finding spots on the stage where, um, or I guess finding spots in the room, now, does that kind of explain the the pacing that you see in the calling competitions where they go from one side to the other and they hunker some down? That, I mean, yeah, is that kind of just like getting in the mood or? Some of that's nerves. Some of that's just adrenaline. Uh, and some of that is finding those right spots in in the room. Um, most, I say in the room, if you're in an, in, in an indoor event. Um, and, and uh, you know, like if you're blowing into the crowd, a lot of times, if there's a lot of people, it'll deaden the sound quite a bit. And if you get like a wall or something by you that you can roll the sound off of, that makes it better. And you know, the the bigger the room, in every room varies. That's why I said we'd always you know swap back and forth, and one person listen, one person would would call because sometimes you get some into your low end stuff, and if you're at the other end of the stage facing the crowd, the judges can't hear you. And, you know, you got to let them hear you to judge you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess rolling off of that, um, you know, you're a great contest caller, but you're also a great, you can speak the language um, to the birds themselves. What is something that, um, that differs from, I guess not that differs because it's a totally different demon. Um, but how do you, um, when you call geese in the field, do you just try to read them almost like a book, read their body language, read kind of what they're doing? You know, if you were to give one tip or a couple of tips to guys about goose calling, you know, what are the biggest ones that you could give them um, as far as to make them a better caller to be able to read the birds and put more birds on the ground? Well, the biggest tip is, is hunt. The more you hunt, the more you get in tune with what's going on. And I find myself, if I don't hunt that much, I get a little out of touch in reading birds a little bit, you know, half a second off or, or second off of, with some of my, you know, when you're going to hit them, what kind of cadence or pitch or volume or something like that. But it just spend time in the field, 
the more time you spend, the more time you just study them. And, and I'll study them. I've got geese in my yard. I sit and listen to them. Um, you know, I might have anywhere from 80 to 180, 200 birds in my yard all fall. And I'll just sit and listen to them and see how they act when they see or hear other birds. And the things that we do as hunters is a lot different than what live geese do to each other. Now, when you're hunting, you know, you're, you're trying to make them come in. And, and when live birds are on the ground, they're not always trying to make other birds come in. So you, there's a little bit of a, you know, a discrepancy or I don't know what you want to call it, but where it's not always the same of what live birds do. But by and large, live birds on the ground don't necessarily call at geese in the air as a group. Usually if a goose is on the ground calling at geese in the air, it's only one or two geese on the ground calling. Everybody else is just making ground talk murmurs or getting in fights and squabbles. And you hear that, you know, real rumble and, and yeah noisy stuff that's by and large what they're doing there um and and occasionally you know there's in geese especially resident geese and the longer they you know in an area they know each other um and it's crazy like i go to my dog trainers and he's got 20 black labs he lets them all out and they all look the same to me but i guarantee you each one of them know who yeah. each other is and you know they know who they like and who they don't like then you'll let the who they let come up by them and who they better keep their distance otherwise there's going to be a scrap and and geese are the same way there's resident geese where some birds will come in and they don't even say a word it's like okay yeah it's it's here comes tommy here he comes and the next thing you know here comes you know here comes old billy and we don't like billy and you, know, you get two or three families you start telling them before they even land that you know you come in we're gonna have a fight yeah that's what I've always um, heard is the the sometimes the talk you hear on the ground isn't necessarily them saying, "Hey, there's there, you know there's food here. Hey, there's yeah. corn on the ground." A lot of times it's, "Hey, get out of here! Like this is our corn. Yeah. You know we don't want you in here. You want to fight? Let's go." Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, and we try to you know mimic a lot of that stuff the best we can, and that's why, you know, I try to tell people don't you know if geese are doing what you want them to do, I did, I did this learn to hunt seminar the Friday night and talking about, I call it straight lining geese. And if geese are coming at you, he's already doing what you want. Why are you even picking up a call? Because once you pick up a call, there's one of two things is going to happen. You went from hundred percent odds. They were going to keep flying at you to 50, 50, you know, they could keep coming or they could, you know, turn away. So, um, I try to stress to people, if they're coming at you, just let them fly by or let them try to come in without any calling. And then if they want to fly by, then let them get out, you know, depending on how high they are and if they're bigger geese or littler geese, but let them get out there to a range where if they make a turn, if you can get them to turn, they can spin and come in on the first pass and not have to make another swing. You know, just stay quiet, let them pass, get 75, 80 yards out there hit them with some double clucks, quick spits, just some aggressive notes and hit the flag, you know, get that flag, you know, and, and what you're trying to, you know, mimic is there's a bird that just cut out somewhere and come in and lit and you catch them in their peripheral vision. Cause they can almost see about, I don't know, so what is it? 320 degrees around with their eyes, the way they're That's crazy. Yeah, with the way they're on the side of their yeah. head. Like so that. they can see, but you know, it's like us in their peripheral and like, Oh, you know, there's one coming in and you can oftentimes get them, to break up and work them a lot better and man I'm, 
I don't know how many times we've done that where it's just worked out great as opposed to when you see them first come over the trees. Just pick. I mean, how many people, I, most people that I know, the first thing they do when they see geese is, you know, they call, 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 get in, get in, get in, get in, get in, call, 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 flag, flag, flag. Well, when everybody starts doing that, the geese get conditioned smart and they get yep. tougher. Guilty as no. charged. That's like my number one yep. fault, especially around here. You know, yep. you've got so much, there's so much competition for, for people out in these, you know, fescue fields we've got and like the limited number of, of cut cornfields that we have that, you know, a lot of times you see birds coming and you're like, I would get in the blind. Like, right after them. Yeah. And, you know, the, the longer I've been out of contest, Colin, the smaller, the, the, the smaller my field vocabulary has gotten. It's not that I can't sit down and make all them cool notes and, you know, the trains and double quick spits and monkey jumps over my, whatever they call them today. It, you know, I can sit and, you know, at a show and make all them notes, but when I'm hunting, it's just basics, man. Just, just, just clucks, double clucks and moans and just changing my pitch cadence and tempo. And most of the, I mean, I find myself calling far less today than I did. 15, 20 years ago, um, just trying to give the right notes at the right time and listen to them. You know, when I see them, I don't pick up the call right away, you know, just listen to them and see what they're doing and kind of check their temperature and see what they want before you, you know, get into it too much. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a good, I think that's a good point. I think a lot of people, um, they don't think about that necessarily. I think the first thing they want to do when they see them is they want to grab their call and they want well, you know, Attention. it's, it, it's, it's, Colin is, is cool. It's fun. It's something we feel like, you know, we can do to affect what the outcome of the hunt, you spend a lot of money on that stuff. And, but like I tell people all the time, it's just a tool. It's yeah. a tool in your toolbox. You yeah. don't have to use every tool every day. So use the right tool for the right job at the right time. And you're going to be more effective, you know, on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good, uh, that's a great tip. Um, Larry, I know you had a couple questions, um, that you'd thought of for him. Why don't you ask him a couple questions, um, from your side of the, your side of the table here? Yeah. I was just, uh, curious about, uh, growing up and any, uh, childhood memories of hunting and, you know, we all kind of have a, a, a couple of those, I believe, and I'd be interested to hear yours and kind of what, what got you going, what was kind of that one hunt that you remember back in the day? Uh, you know, like we all start hunting a little bit different and a little bit different age. And, you know, back when I started hunting, you had to be 12 years old to yep. be able to small game hunt and 14 to be able to big game hunt, deer hunt. And, you know, growing up here in West Michigan, you know, we had pheasants then, rabbits, my grandpa had beagles. So I was kind of all up in that. I mean, I've chased, I've been behind beagles growing up for a long you know I, a, a lot of days I spent doing that and that was fun and then when I you know I bow you could bow hunt at 12 so I bow hunted for deer uh did all that and then when I was 14 um you could gun hunt for deer and went out and dad and I went out and I shot a doe and he said well that's good we don't need any more for the freezer and I'm like well what else is open and he's like well let's look and he looked at the regulations and the only thing that was open was ducks ducks and geese and was like well okay and so he grabbed some, he had some old duck decoys, some paper mache duck decoys and the rafters and got them out, 
found some uh, some string we could put on them and found some weights. We use old nuts and bolts and yeah. spark plugs and all kinds of stuff Absolutely. and tied them on. And I, I went out that next day. We took, I had a lab and a Springer 14 all by myself and had, uh, had a couple of teal come in. They let on the water and my ground swatted them. And from then on, it was, that's, that's all I really cared to do. I probably deer hunted uh, on and off from then until I was about 20 and then pretty much gave up deer hunting. I mean, I go deer hunting now a couple of times, you know, one or two days a year, um, more as a, a, you know, just go hang out with the buddies and do something that's in the outdoors. It's, it's hunting and fun, but unreal what I do for work. So, yeah. you know, from then on. And then I started, uh, you know, I started hunting public, uh, public land right here by the house. There's a refuge. And it was at the time primarily goose hunting, um, dry land refuge with blinds all the way. Well, you basically stand in standing corn all the way around the edge. And they had some blinds and then they had a couple water refuges where you'd pass shoot them coming over out of the, out of the, uh, out of the marsh. You'd sit up in the woods and pass shoot them. So that was kind of big back then. Um, and my, you know, my dad's friends would, would take me to do that before I could drive. And, you know, one of my buddies, uh, his dad, um, he picked me up at four 30 in the morning we go hit the public draw at five 30. So, I mean, there's some good memories hunting public. Um, that's how I grew up, uh, how I grew up hunting and real competitive, you know, cause that's where I you know, learned to, you learn to do things to stand out, whether it's, um, I made, I made my own silhouette decoys. I didn't have you know enough money to, yeah. to buy them. So I made my own silhouette decoys and, um, learn how to call and, you know, try to do things a little bit different to be successful. Yeah. Tanner, Tanner and I have talked about that in some previous episodes, similar upbringing for me here in, in Oregon, uh, you know, deer for us is all, well, unless if you draw a special tag has always been one, one big uh, deer per season. And Mm -hmm. I real quick decided that that wasn't long enough. And (laughs) if, if I can go out and shoot ducks or geese, uh, uh, every day, then that's the preferred choice. And uh, kind of like you started with deer, but then a quick pivot to waterfowl for sure. Yep. And I, I love the turkey hunt now too, but that's been a new passion in the last 10 years or so. But that's, and again, that's something I can do that's hunting related outdoors, but yep. it's not, not necessarily a job, you know. Similar here. I've only got into it like the last two to three. My parents have a, about a a thousand acres out here and they got some turkeys running around on on it and i just decided well yeah. we'll give this thing a shot see what happens yeah it's something i mean like i could walk out my front door and and walk right into the woods behind a neighbor's house and yeah. if i hear one in the morning great you know if not i just walk back to the house and go to work yeah, absolutely that's one thing yeah. i haven't gotten into yet is turkey hunting like i just i see them and i'm like it'd be so cool don't start to get, to get one <laughs> it'd be cool to get one and like have the fan and like maybe get a you know yeah. a mountain done but then i think about it i'm like what am i going to do with a what am i going to do with a turkey like i don't even know how to cook a turkey well there's i can help you out <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it's addicting and you know as a waterfowler i mean i don't know how many darn decoys i mean i probably need to buy a trailer for all the turkey decoys i have and you don't even need a decoy for turkey hunting but i've got them yeah that's just a waterfowler in me you know that for me it was uh i used to bow hunt for roosevelt and rocky mountain elk and bugling and you know working 
working the, the game in uh, with the bugle and uh, cow call. And that was uh, that was one thing when I went turkey hunting about three years ago that that I kind of related that to was, you know, the set the stocking, the setting up, calling them in. And it actually related to me a lot like uh, uh, elk hunting for archery. I've never I've never elk hunted, but everybody says that and I probably shouldn't do it. There's no well that we do have elk here in Michigan, but it's a draw deal and they only give like a hundred tags a year. But if I got addicted to that, I'd probably have to get divorced because I'd probably never be home. <laughs> it's it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. That kind of covered my couple questions, Tanner. Okay. Uh, yeah, I had to go get a pen. I'm like kind of like I'm just I'm all over the board right now. I can't. I'm like looking at this list and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I talked about already. So now I'm kind of just checking it off as I go. Um, but I have a few questions from some guys um, on Instagram. You mind answering a few questions from some people? Go for it. Um, first question I've got is, uh, you know, for people who didn't see the uh, the Instagram post, it's a picture of a. Uh, it's a picture of Sean uh, throwing on a lanyard that's um, looks like one out of a Cabela's catalog. It's just filled to the brim with uh, with bands. Um, guy asked, "Where can I buy a lanyard like that?" Um, you get yours uh, off eBay. eBay or Amazon? Uh, well, you might be able to buy them off Amazon, but back then it was eBay. No, no, that's uh, you know, bands are. I, I've got a lot of bands. I think I've got about two and a half lanyards full um and bands bands are cool um but they're also not cool in some ways if that makes sense um i think i know exactly what you're talking about it, it all, it, it, yeah it comes down to kind of where you hunt not how many you shoot you know yeah. I, yeah. like we had one hunt and we actually filmed it for one of my old follow pursuit dvds we had let's see we had we shot there was five of us so we shot 25 geese 21 bands and but 20 geese were banded so one of them had a had a reward band he was double band a reward band you know so i, I didn't have a, i haven't had a lot of hunts like that but no. several hunts and it doesn't take you know long to to get a pile of bands and right and i i like bands from the standpoint of knowing the history i wish you could tell when you shoot i wish a bird you know, every bird had a had a history report on it that you shot it because it'd be it, cool it just, if like I, now if they could put a little QR code like on the back of it, you know, and you shoot it, you can just scan go. it and it can like show you a map yeah. of where it goes. I'm just I'm I'm just infatuated with migration and knowing where they've you know where they've come from and the stories they can possibly tell. But um I don't I, I don't that was that photo was for a Sitka shoot down yeah. in Kansas. And so I brought all that stuff, you know, for it, but I, I don't wear that lanyard um, anymore for a couple of reasons. One, it's, I'm, I'm not a showboat gaudy person. I don't need to throw on a bunch of lanyards to make myself feel like I'm a goose hunter. And secondly, it, they're heavy, man. Like it hurts your neck. They add up, man. Yeah. It hurts your neck after a while. (laughs) And, you know, some, you know, some, if I just drag around enough, somebody's going to break into my truck and steal them and, those are memories. So I just keep them in the safe here at home anymore. But, um, but you know, and, and the other side of it, bands, I mean, I've seen it cause so many fights with, with people. I shot that band. Oh no, I shot that. You didn't even shoot your gun. Blah, blah, blah. You know, let's draw for it. And, yeah. Like, no, we anymore. got, we got one of those going in our friend group, but it's been going on for, Oh shit. I don't know. 
it was like six years ago it's the first band I ever shot there's three of us hunting and there's a group of mallards that came in and there was like one drake in the group and everybody shot the drake of course it was on my side i went out and picked up the bird and it was banded and i was like well this is gonna be this is gonna be interesting so i walked back in with it and we threw shotgun shells in the hat we're shooting kents and uh winchester super x's so we put in one odd shell out and everybody drew and i ended up drawing the odd shell out so i got the band and still to this day my best buddy just he I, he's convinced that i rigged it yeah i mean it's just a piece of metal I, you know I, yeah so yeah. i you know i i just now, were I those all there. were those like um uh were they like locals? I mean, a lot of those bands, like local bands from like where they're getting them off golf courses and things like that. Oh, I mean, I would say that well over half of them were, yeah, um, that kind of stuff. But you know, that was back in the day too, when there was a lot of uh, James Bay birds we'd shoot on a refuge, yep. and you, you call enough of them in, look for legs, and yep. Well, it's like around here, you know, there's not. I, I don't want to say there's not a lot of opportunity for bands because. We've got, you know, just up and down the flyway, I can think of uh, probably four places where they they ban fairly heavily. Um, but, like, with us, it's hard because we get such a big push of Widgeon. And Widgeon oh. have never really – they've always kind of been on the back burner. You know, they don't really ban Widgeon that often. Um, so a lot of people, you know, they go years without shooting a band. Um, and then other guys, they go hunt – places that are wildlife management areas where they actually band a ton of birds and those birds hang around for a while. Um, and they just hunt those places throughout the year and they'll go get four or five bands a year. And, um, you know, a lot of guys that don't do that, you know, that hunt private ground or they hunt on the river system or they hunt something like that. They don't shoot hardly any bands. Um, so around here specifically, when you see a guy that has, um, a lanyard like that, it's like, you know, everybody's like, Oh, this guy's, this guy's the real the real deal you know he must be with you know he must be with zinc or something yeah or he's just got a lot of money and spends it on ebay <laughs> yeah we got a buddy in klamath falls Which? he's down at klamath falls and he shoot i mean last year he shot eight or nine this year he's already up to i think five and i'm like dude you've got to be getting out like you you got to be getting close to running ebay out of their bands you know <laughs> at some point we they're are, gonna tell you they're out we are on one of the biggest band droughts i've ever been on this year we have I, we have not shot one band on any of the hunts and that shot a pile of birds already and i you know the only thing i can attribute to we were talking about it is last year there weren't a lot of birds banded because of covid yeah. and the the hunts that we've been on most of those geese that we well probably 90 percent of the geese that we shoot are one to two year old birds that are molt migrants so I, that's the only thing i other other than that we just got some really bad luck but you know, how do you think covid do you think covid affected um like how much do you think covid affected um waterfowl hunting as a whole you know with um everybody going to canada in early season you know to go up and shoot up there do you think that had any real effect on um the season last year with how the the border shutdowns and stuff went i think there were a lot of people that were out of work. So there was a lot of weekday hunting that went on. There was a lot more pressure below the, the border. North Dakota was, I've never seen it that busy, that big of a zoo. I mean, there were people everywhere and it really, yeah. it made hunting tough. You know, the more people, the more people that are out, the more pressures on them, the smarter the birds. So yeah. um, from that aspect, it was, it was a tougher season 
because there was a lot more pressure and there were more people out running the roads, you know, beating you to a field or getting permission before you or getting in between you and the birds and just yeah. it, the game was a lot tougher. Not, I'm not complaining about it. I mean, it's still hunting, but yeah, yeah it definitely. That's made one us. way I didn't really look at it though was, um, you know, from the side of you know more people hunting during the week versus just weekend warriors. I never thought about that. Oh yeah, there was a more people and more time in the field. You know, and I can't remember. It was like that first year when the um, when the first spring when COVID, the uh, we had like a thirty some thousand license sale jump for turkeys. For spring oh, wow. turkeys wow <laughs> yeah yeah there you know normally i think it was, it was i can't remember it was close to a hundred thousand people out spring turkey and i was like holy cow yeah you know lost had people all over the place but that's yeah. a good thing i mean, I you say, know, I mean thing. more people out there and you know try you know a duck call duck and goose call sales way up you know, decoy sales way up, all, you know, blind sales way up, all that stuff. But right now everybody's having a hard time getting inventory, you know, shipped in to be able to sell anything. So that's, that's the other downside of, of COVID, but going into COVID, there was a lot of inventory and people, you know, could went out there and bought a bunch of stuff. And now when they want to buy the, the retailers are having a, or um, the, the manufacturers are having a hard time stocking the retailers right now. Yeah. Well, between that and, and, uh, you know, all the young, the young generation that's been able to catch in on these checks that we've gotten over the last year. I mean, just lining their pockets with decoy money. I mean, it's just been, oh, yeah. you know, I bet it's just been a, a busy, busy last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you had to pick, you know, what's your favorite, what's your favorite type of uh, waterfowl hunting? Like, do you like shooting geese over dry field? Do you like shooting honkers over water, dry field ducks? I mean, what's your, what's your go-to jam? Man, best option is what I always say. So I really, you know, but if I had to pick one that I could only ever do, that would be goose hunting and on dry land. I don't, I mean, I, I, I love it. You know, goose hunting on dry land with a little bit of splash water, that would be even mm -hmm. better. Yeah. What part of the, what part of the, I mean, if it's in the U.S., you know, what part of the U.S. would it be and where you do it at? Uh, you know what? They always say there's no place like home. Um, right. It'd yeah. probably be around home. But I've hunted, man, I've hunted some pretty cool places around the country. I've been fortunate to be able to, to do that. And there are some cool spots. Now, have you ever gone over here to do it? Over here in, sure, in Oregon sure or Washington? Um, I sure have. I've, I've came out and came out and hunted with Billy Boy. Um, me and Saunders did a... Uh, uh, a TV show with Ron Latchaw and it was, uh, I can't remember the name of the host and it was for ESPN outdoors. Um, we filmed out there in Southeast Washington and uh, Northeast uh, Oregon. And then I came out another time and did, uh, you remember the old um, web or what was it, the forum flock knockers? If you were remember that that might be yeah, I that remember might be, that might be larry's time a little before that's old. Yeah. yes yes yeah. that's old but no they put together a hunt out there and we did a hunt out there that was i'll tell you what the first time i i, I went out there I, well obviously i flew because that's a long way to drive and i'm not walking <laughs> um flying out they had the um the map in front you know the, the seat back in front of you and you're looking like you're it's like you're going over 
you know, Southeast Washington and you're looking out the window and you're like, I'm hunting here in the um, sagebrush and cheatgrass. We set up out there in just little openings, you know, like maybe a half acre to an acre size in the, in the openings of the sagebrush on, uh, and, shoot, and shot geese in the cheatgrass out there. And that was cool. Never done anything like that before. Yeah. Have you ever hunted in, um, in Oregon at all? Um, I guess not really Oregon. Uh, have you hunted in the permit zone of Oregon at all? Down the I, have I, corridor? I have not. Um, I <laughs> well, have you not. made, you made the comment about, uh, they always say there's no place like home. And I'll tell you what, if I had to pick one place to hunt geese the rest of my life, I love hunting in Oregon. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but it is a Royal pain in the ass sometimes because you've I know, got these I duskies and it's just like, yeah. Yeah. you always got to be on your toes about what's coming in and and it's a cool aspect i mean there's nothing quite like hunting and being able to shoot you know if you're by yourself you know if you were to if you were to shoot a honker you know a western a cackler and a lesser and a tab you know you've pretty much covered mm -hmm. and yeah. you've got all of them in the same hunt i mean it's it's really it's a neat place to hunt but i mean there's some times where you set up and you're like, I'm so tired of seeing these big, dark, red collared birds coming in. You're just like, I, I'm over it. Yeah. Like, but it's, I mean, yeah. it's, if you've, if, if you've ever got a chance to come out here and, and do a big tackler hunt like that, I mean, it's. Yeah. Them boys at, over at Dave Smith, they, uh, they chase some bands pretty hard. Oh, yes, good old Brad. Brad's got a yeah, Brad got old and Dave, yeah. pile of them there. Oh yeah, yeah. I actually have a tackler on the wall. So my taxidermist, I was out there and emceed the Oregon Waterfowl Festival, and um, we uh, no, it's Washington Waterfowl Festival or Oregon. I can't remember what I went I at both of them, but. Um, the one that, I think it was a Washington Waterfall Festival. They took a sturgeon fishing, but um, afterwards, that was fun. Never done that before. But uh, my taxidermist wanted some cacklers for the world competition that he was doing. So I had Travis Reeser save me a couple, and I flew back on the plane with like three or four of them. And my taxidermist mounted them all, and then he gave me one of them. So I, I had one on the wall downstairs. Yeah, they're pretty cool little birds. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of, I guess yeah. not a lot, but back in the day when I first started um, really waterfowl hunting with my brother, you know, it was, it was very, very common to go up and set out um, whole body ducks and some floater ducks and some goose decoys on a sheet water spot. And you could have a combo hunt, um, you know, and it made it really cool because you could shoot your seven ducks and then, you know, depending on what year it was, you could shoot your two geese or your four geese or, or whatever. Um, and a lot of those cacklers, I mean, when you get some of those big migrating mallards that come in, I mean, they, they go size for size with each other. And it's just crazy thinking, yeah. you know, these are Canada geese and they're just, they're the size of a, the size of a greenhead, you know? Yeah. And they sound totally different too. Oh Yeah. They look, they look like a goose, like a Canada goose, but they got a whole different vocabulary. It's yeah, that's a whole nother yeah. I mean, being able to call cacklers and being able to call honkers and being able to to you know know all the different vocab for each subspecies is, I mean, that's a whole nother ball of wax. Well, like you said, Tanner, shit, uh, shooting on that sheet water, 
you know, Shit, you, shitting on that sheet water, shitting on the sheet water. <laughs> oh, hey, there you go. <laughs> you, you got, you got to have, you got to have a repertoire of calls, right? We got to have whistles for some of the ducks. We got to have a standard duck call, yeah. you know, high pitch, and then a honker call. You, you got to have a lander well, was, full of go-to options. That was a lot like today. You know, I went out, I went out yesterday with my wife um, and we shot, I think we shot five ducks. It wasn't anything crazy. My wife actually outshot me yesterday. So a little shout out to her. She really pulled it together yesterday. Um, but yesterday I was like screaming at him, not screaming, I guess, but I was like, I was really like calling, you know? So today I go out and I've got two or three groups that come by mid morning, um, probably eight, 10 mallards. And I'm just, you know, quacking at them and I'm feeding chuckle and they're just blowing by me. And I'm like, you know, what, what does a guy got to do? And so I get a, a group of seven that come in and they're flying over the top so i just grab my whistle and i'm just i'm just you know that little humming drake and i from about 150 yards up they made four passes and they were feet down in the decoys mm -hmm. and i'm like awesome. so i've been doing it wrong all day long like today's a whistle day i guess you know and it's like 20 mile an hour winds out of the south thinking a whistle is not going to cut through the wind every day it's a different recipe you know yes. I, I think that's what i love the most about the sport it's not the piles it's the game right mm -hmm. trying to figure it out and you you never will never have it completely figured out and that's what keeps you coming back i guess yeah well yeah you look at the history of i mean at least in my opinion you look at the history of goose hunting and back in the day you know back like when you were on the stage and stuff um silhouettes were huge you know herders was making those almost looked like they just taken a picture of a goose and they printed it out on a on a you know piece of plastic or whatever or corrugated um plastic and that was the way to do it and then those no, kind of went out they went from way way back in the 40 was uh johnson folding goose decoys and then dupa goose yeah those were like oh yeah were i've hunted off of those before basically all, all i was trying all i was saying was that you know back in the day it was like silhouettes were the they were the they were the main squeeze and then it was almost like the geese got smarter and they figured out that silhouettes weren't real geese. And then the full bodies made their appearance, the Bigfoots and the, you know, those big, big decoys. And then now we're kind of almost reverting back to where we started. And now you've got guys like Tangle Free coming out with the skinnies and Dive Bomb and Big Owls. And you've got all these silhouettes hitting the market again. And it's almost like we're coming full turn back to where we were, you know, 40 years ago. Luke calls yeah it's this goose hunting is a, a revolution it revolves yeah. it doesn't evolve yeah. as much um, i'm ready for it to come back to where i can buy one of those jumbo goose the shells that you lay under the 747s yeah i want to get a 747 they'll buy you i'm pretty sure you could probably make make them work today but it's the, you know it's just all as hunters i was talking about it earlier you know we we do the same things we're we're very predictable and they get conditioned smart to the things that we do on a daily basis and and how we hunt and the size of the spreads and the, the you know how, how we hide and how we call and all that and when you start pulling you know on these smart birds you start pulling some of these old school tools out and all of a sudden they're the new thing um and it's because they haven't seen it in a long time and they're not conditioned to it and there'll come a time when you know it'll roll back around and silhouettes won't be as productive as as full bodies will be so that's why i tell people all the time don't 
if you've got a good place to store that stuff, don't don't sell it because it's going to be a lot more expensive to buy it back in <laughs> next you know, time, next time around. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, so let's get we got a couple more questions from blah Jesus. Words are hard. Here we go. We got a couple more questions from some guys on here. Um, somebody asked, "What's the most important piece of gear?" while field goose hunting is it calls is it decoys is it your hide is it a flag what is it well that's kind of a loaded question because it all depends um if you're hunting an x the most important gear is the hide i mean because they're coming there anyway right so the the best thing you can do is hide from them because if if you've got an x field the, there's you know real good chance that they're going to come there and stay whether you're there or not you showing up there is just gonna it's, it's like picking up a call and the geese are coming at you it's going to do one or two different things so you showing up there is you, you got to make sure you hide make sure you hid from them um next thing next most important thing is decoys letting them see where you want them to be yes we broke up there uh you know decoys so you can see where you want them uh to set up or they can see you uh then calling and um working on down the line now if you're not on an x then calling becomes more critical if you're running traffic so it, it all depends um so goose goose spreads and fields uh open open spreads or um spread you know, having them kind of spread out and tight little family groups, or do you want them close to the blind? Is this another one of those scenarios where it kind of depends on how you're set up in the field? If you're on the X, if you're on, you know, if you're in the middle of a low cut field where you want your yeah, decoys around you to break you up. It's so hard to just say there's not a one size fits all. To me, it's all how I feel based on the hide, the location, how many birds are used in the area in time of year. Um, early in the year, I might spread them out a little more, more family groups, um, later in the year, tighter together. Uh, but I always like to give them a place to land, which right. in, in an area in close proximity to gun range. So it, that's a, that's kind of a hard question to, an, to answer, I guess. I, I think that's a hard question to answer too, because, uh, you know, where you, where you guys hunt at in comparison to how we hunt here um, in Northwest Oregon and, and with all these cacklers and stuff, you know, when you see these wads of cacklers out in a field feeding, you know, they're like on top of each other. And, yeah. you know, when you spread them out, you know, a lot of times, like when I set my spreads, um, I'll set my cackler spreads or my lessers up, I'll set them a little bit tighter. And then I'll usually throw my bigger decoys, like my honker decoys, I'll set them out to the side because right. to, generally when you see big geese and small geese in a field with the little guys they're yeah very unsocial they don't want to be around the loud obnoxious yeah it's kind of like high school you know you got your seniors and your freshmen and the seniors only want to be, be around the freshmen even though the freshmen try to hang out with them they just keep moving further away good way to put it yeah <clears throat> um another question we got uh why was uh why was trace your favorite hunting dog of all time and I, I'm pretty sure I know who asked that question, and, and he, he wasn't my favorite one. Uh, Trace was a good dog. Uh, he was my kid's best friend, slept with him every every night he was home for 14 and a half years. Um, but he was a very flashy dog, high energy, high drive. 
He was fun to watch and hard to own. Um, you always had to keep your finger on him. He was always, every day was something new. He was going to do something to like, boy, I never saw that before. <laughs> um, but yeah, he would go. He, he had plenty of go, but um sometimes when when a dog has too much go they don't have enough gray matter to match and that was that was traced to a t but he was he was a good dog um great family dog um an excellent hunting dog he was just he was hard to manage boy he was hard to manage and keep yeah i feel like i might be having one of those uh i've got a one-year-old uh black lab female um took her out on her first hunt yesterday i mean she did really good but she is just like She's like she's on cocaine all the time. Like, I got to find a way to like calm yeah. her down a little bit. Yeah, lots of obedience. Lots of obedience. Yeah. It's time change here. It got dark early today. Oh yeah, you're a few hours. I'm already us, set huh? over here. Yeah. Yeah, we're creeping on it. Yeah. I think ours is planned to go down here in about an hour and a half, hour and forty minutes. So it'll be it'll be four thirty over here. In about an hour and a half. Wow. Well, Larry, do you have anything else that you'd like to uh, you'd like to ask the guy? No, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, you know, you were our first guest that we've had on, and oh. I mean, you were the first. I mean, I never really imagined having anybody like you on. Um, so this was very. Um, Man, I appreciate it. This is it's fun. It's always. It's fun to just sit down and talk, talk waterfowl. And that's well, for that's, sure. I reached out to somebody that has, uh, they've got a podcast. They've been going for 10 years now and they got, you know, tons of people that tune in every time they post an episode. And I just asked them, I go, how do you guys get these names? You know, like Kelly powers and, and, you know, these guys that just, you'd think don't want anything to, to do with your little podcast. And he's like, just ask them, like, we're all the same. Like every, they just yeah. want to talk about it, you know? Yep. Yep. Yep, that's that's why I said when we started out, man. That I wear waders just like everybody else, so yeah. I put my lanyard on over my head just like everybody else. So just yeah. been fortunate enough to be able to do this and travel around and, and meet a lot of meet a lot of faces in a lot of places. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to kind of to kind of close out on is, you know, the waterfowl community is a great community to be a part of. Um, let me go ahead and start my video back up. The The waterfowl community is a great community to be in. Um, however, there are some very toxic traits in it that, you know, you get a lot of guys that are kind of smart asses about things and that don't really want to offer the, the help and the guidance that people are seeking. And it's like, you have to remember that, like, at some point you were in the same boat as this guy that's wanting to know this, or he's wanting to know, you know, there's a huge difference between wanting to know more about certain areas and just asking people bluntly, where should I go? Like there's ways to go around it. There's ways to word it. And there's, there's proper answers and there's answers that you might want to make, but you probably should just say it in your head or say it to your buddies. Don't post it on a form. There's some etiquette to it that, that, that if you approach it the right way, you're going to get a good answer. Yeah. Approach it the wrong way. You may not. Yeah. By and large, our, the waterfall community has its share of uh, less than stellar folks that run around and, and create a bunch of noise. But by and large, most of us um, are, are good at heart and good old boys. And and I, and I know me, when I first started out, there wasn't YouTube, there wasn't the internet, there wasn't 
you know, DVDs. There wasn't a good avenue out there and just talking to people and asking questions was the, the main way. And, and I try not to forget where I come from. And if people have questions or want to learn, um, you know, I try to make myself as available as I possibly can, you know, through text or phone or social media messaging and try to get back to people as quick as I possibly can. Cause I, I know what it was like, you know, starting out um, and trying to learn. And I, I also know that to this day, I haven't stopped learning and that even though, you know, somebody may think they're just getting into it or don't know anything, I probably can learn something from them. So, you know, uh, it's just good to, good to talk to people. Yeah. I mean, that's a great outlook to have on it. You know, if everybody had that same mindset of, of, no matter who they're talking to, they could learn something new. There'd be a lot less, uh, I guess, drama um, mm -hmm. in the waterfowl world because oh, yeah. this is like one of the most dramatic, like sports that or sports or hobbies, whatever you want to call it, that there is. I mean, oh, people get fired up. You know, whether it's about bands or hunting spots or public marshes or you know anything, there's always somebody getting under somebody's skin or causing issues and it's like dude just like yep. chill out oh yeah yep. just a bird it's just a bird yep. at the end of the day yeah well cool well larry we should we uh wrap this one up with him let him get i'm sure you're about ready to eat some dinner huh no i gotta hook up the boat still and throw some more things in it pull the boat out and then move the trailer in and yeah i still got oh. a few hours left out here oh boy sounds like a taco yeah. bell night what's that <laughs> sounds like a taco bell night uh boy i should run to the border huh <laughs> <laughs> well really appreciate your time this has been if i do that but yeah yeah appreciate your time this has been awesome so thank you very much for your time and and guidance and support thank you at least I, i'm sure tanner feels the same way but for me for sure i appreciate it oh yeah, yeah i feel i mean i I'm like, not like, again, we talked about like the whole starstruck thing and it's like, I'm not like starstruck, but it's like, you know, you're going to talk to somebody who's you see on sportsman's channel and you see all over YouTube and you know, he's made a living doing something that you love doing. And it's just, it's, it's cool. And it's, it's great to be able to talk to you and get tips and advice from you. And, and you're such a down to earth guy. I mean, it just, you know, if you're ever in Oregon, yeah, especially in the up. Valley, <laughs> yeah, you ever got to, you, you always got a place to stay here. It ain't much, but my wife so I, appreciate I appreciate it. that's that's the nice part about the waterfowl community and and larry and tanner i do appreciate coming on just as much as you guys enjoyed having me on i appreciate having a conversation so thanks well, again. it's been a real treat man good all luck right. on your good luck on your next duck hunt and uh take care of this season i'm sure we'll talk again all right you guys take care all, all right, right thank you thank you